The Garbage Hour is brought to you by just, like, a whole lot of anxiety. Anxiety. When your worries team up. They took her post off Facebook Cause some men thought it was rude But she still got a thing or two to say To all those shitty dudes here on the garbage hour Don't take it personally As we smash the patriarchy here on the garbage, here on the garbage, here on the garbage hour. Hello and welcome to the garbage hour. I continue to be Megan McGuire. And even though Facebook is shutting me up, that doesn't mean I won't continue shouting into the void anyway. So late last Thursday, Fox announced its plans to cancel Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know I talked about Brooklyn Nine-Nine briefly a while back when I was talking about how representation matters in the midst of award season. Rosa Diaz is one of the first non-judgmental portrayals of bisexual women in the history of, well, ever. Plus, you have one of the most diverse, stereotype-breaking casts of characters on television. Don't worry. This won't be a 15-minute rant about how Brooklyn Nine-Nine is one of the most important shows on television, mostly because NBC has already picked it up for a sixth season, so we'll get the ending we deserve. But I want to talk about what Fox and other networks are passing on shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine in favor of. So, reviving old TV shows is a cool thing to do right now. It started probably with shows that fans thought didn't get the send-off it deserved. Shows like Arrested Development, which was canceled in its third season. Um, Arrested Development season four wasn't good per se, but it was nostalgic for those weirdo fans that worshipped it. Me. Then other shows started jumping on the bandwagon. You know, you got Gilmore Girls giving us a year in the life. And it was fine. Again, nostalgic. Mother-daughter relationships for the ages. But then shows that had long, successful runs started getting picked up for revivals. Will and Grace, for example. Bringing back the 90s charm, perhaps, with a better understanding of what gay people are really like. And then we come to now. With shows like Roseanne and Last Man Standing... Roseanne was a show in the late 80s and 90s that followed a working-class family in suburban, rural Illinois. Many saw it as a show that was the first of its kind to portray working-class people as the center of the story. There were also a lot of gay characters represented in the story. In short, it was a groundbreaking show in the 1990s, talking about issues and families that weren't always represented on TV. In the years since Roseanne went off the air and the revival brought it back, Roseanne has run for president in the Peace and Freedom Party after losing the Green Party nomination to Jill Stein in 2012, and then become a very public supporter of Donald Trump. So the revival, of course, revolves around Roseanne, the character, being a Donald Trump supporter because, as Barr says, she wanted to demonstrate how politics have torn apart families and why working-class Americans voted for Trump. 
Last Man Standing is a TV show starring Buzz Lightyear of Star Command as a senior employee at an outdoor sporting goods store, like I'm guessing Cabela's. Is that a universal reference? According to the show's Wikipedia page, the show, because I have not watched the show, to be clear, but according to the Wikipedia page, the show revolves around Tim Allen's character, I don't know, is his interactions with his family, neighbors, co-workers, and it kind of centers around his conservative political views. A year after the show ended on ABC, Fox picked it up for another season saying uh, they were, quote, emboldened by the response to Roseanne's revival. They have similar themes, the shows, conservative center clashing with more liberal outside forces. It's one of the classic story models, you know, man versus man, man versus society, man versus nature, man versus self, man versus pansy-ass liberal snowflakes. I don't think it's necessarily bad to want to represent a more conservative point of view on television. I want TV to represent the diversity of human voices, but the way the building of the 2018-2019 TV season has gone has valued giving space for more white voices and silencing more diverse voices. And as liberal as we think television is, it's still an industry predominantly run by rich white men. Thinking that these voices are underrepresented kind of buys into the myth that we live in a post-racial, post-feminist America brought on by having one out of 45 of our presidents be black, and as such, white voices have been silenced. White men are still, by and large, the center of most television shows. They're sitting around the writer's room tables. They're behind the dais in the casting room. There is no paucity of white voices on television. Further, I think that this isn't really an era where we can all hold hands and sing kumbaya around our televisions. It's not just that people have different points of view and we should celebrate that. Conservative voices are not being silenced by any stretch of the imagination. Republicans hold the majority of seats in the House and the Senate, and there are more right-leaning judges on the Supreme Court. And then there's the White House, which, you know, I... (gasps) I don't think conservatives are exactly an underrepresented voice right now. And the both sides thinking is pretty toxic. It's one thing if you wanted to present both sides like two decades ago when the Republicans weren't just a bunch of ass-kissing buttheads bending over backwards to please a racist reality TV demagogue. Today, representing both sides is far more fraught than it was in the 80s and 90s, and even in 2011 when Last Man Standing premiered. To present the conservative point of view and the Trump supporter now is to validate that point of view that sees immigrants as rapists and or terrorists, that sees women as pussies to be grabbed, that sees trans people as predators, that sees black people as thugs, and sees Nazis as some of them are really great people. You can say as much as you want about how Donald Trump speaks for working-class Americans and their feelings of disenfranchisement, but he did that by feeding on everyone's basest fears of minorities and underrepresented groups. With the networks wanting to represent the more conservative voice, they are condoning this point of view. They are saying it's okay that Roseanne thinks her Muslim neighbors are building a bomb. And they are validating the people behind these shows as well. Roseanne Barr isn't just an outspoken Trump supporter. She believes in Pizzagate. 
which I honestly believed had something to do with Pizza Rat for the longest time. In short, it is a conspiracy theory that claims to have decoded the hacked emails of Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Dave Podesta, linking Clinton and Podesta and other top Democratic officials with a child sex trafficking ring run out of a a variety of restaurants, including, yeah, a pizza place. The theory has been supported by the likes of Alex Jones and Infowars and has been debunked by such lying lie faces as the D.C. police department and newspapers. Roseanne isn't just a former liberal who has started to hold more conservative views. She wants to speak on behalf of the working class people, just like she did when she was breaking ground in the 1990s. But it's hard to do when she's referring to the working class as, quote, these people in the New York Times. How personal, how caring. And Tim Allen, Santa Claus himself, is also a Trump supporter. He attended Donald Trump's inauguration, which is fine, I guess. I mean, I was in D.C. just the day after Donald Trump's inauguration. It was for the Women's March. Anyway, but he also compared being a conservative in Hollywood to living in Germany in the 1930s. That's right, being a conservative in Hollywood is like living under the Third Reich. I mean, I can imagine that Tom Hanks stopped inviting you to things once he found out you supported Donald Trump, you sad, strange little man. But I'm not sure that it's like living under a power-hungry, anti-Semitic, murderous dictator. And if we're going to compare anyone in modern America to Nazi Germany, maybe we should start with the fucking Nazis. These are the voices we are amplifying, not the aw shucks voices of the working class. We're supporting full-on bonker balls claims. Is that who we want TV networks to be giving the megaphone to? And yes, we should start telling more working class stories. Hollywood as a whole needs to check its fucking privilege. And the working class is pretty important, but let's not pretend that white people are the only working class people in this country. People of color make up a pretty big chunk of the working class, just like they make up, I don't know, a pretty big chunk of Americans. In fact, according to the Economic Policy Institute, people of color will be a majority of the working class by 2032. Being working class isn't a specifically white experience, and we shouldn't make it look like it is, because quote-unquote, these people aren't just pawns in your television game. They are real people. And, like, 97% of black people voted for Hillary Clinton, so. Now, Roseanne and Tim Allen are extremes in the TV revival business, but I think that it speaks to a bigger issue with reviving television shows in general. And to illustrate this point, let's take a little detour to the theater. In February of this year, Michael Paulson of the New York Times published an article called The Problem with Broadway Revivals. Spoiler, the problem is that when you revive Broadway shows, you also revive the gender politics that come with them. As progressive as the Carousel Revival wants to be, Julie Jordan still sings the song about how it's okay when men hit women. My Fair Lady is still a show about how a man shapes a woman into a nearly unrecognizable version of herself. Kiss Me Kate is still just a woman being tamed. And it's true that most of these shows come from the 1950s and 60s and can be written off as the way things were way back when. But they're still reviving these female characters, these gender dynamics as roles to strive towards, both for young female actors and more generally for young women. 
And Michael Paulson points out, it's not just these old-ass musicals that do this. Pretty Woman, the movie, is also being revived into Pretty Woman, the musical. And while it is being updated, it is still reviving that classic prostitute with a heart of gold needing to be saved trope. While these stories and these shows may be beloved, there's a lot of baggage with them. Baggage, perhaps, that we don't really need to unpack in 2018. And I think that this is also true of television shows. When you are reviving an old TV show, as nostalgic as it may be, what are you really reviving? Let's take Friends as an example, because we seem to be constantly begging for Friends to be brought back. Friends is great to watch when you need to turn off part of your brain, because honestly, when you're watching Friends with full brain power, what are you thinking? You're having a good time, clapping along to the theme song. Then you realize, why are there so many homophobic jokes? And, and where does Ross get off being such a dick? And what New York City is this? Where are the black people? There's a lot we forgive when watching old TV shows that perhaps wouldn't stand in the present day. So when we revive old TV shows, we revive the shit that makes us cringe when we watch it on Netflix. And why do we want to revive old TV shows? Why can't we just let them exist in a nice 6-10 to 10 season package? Think, in my city alone, there are hundreds, maybe thousands, of very talented comedy writers who hope to someday have their big break and write for a television show, and then one day create one. At least five of them are meditating on it right now, like really deeply. Why revive old TV shows when you can hear the new stories that people have to tell? I don't need to hear about Chandler Bing's back pain or whatever Friends of Today would look like. I want to hear news stories from a diversity of people. As hard as TV tries, we're in a different landscape now, and it will never be the 1990s again, and we should stop trying to make it the 1990s again. Can you imagine if 10 years after Van Gogh finished A Starry Night, every time people saw him, they were like, when are you going to bring back A Starry Night? And he'll be like, it's right here. You can look at it whenever you want. And then people would be like, don't you want to relive the that glory and get the old gang of paint back together? I mean, you did Starry Night over the Rhone, but we want to see Starry Night again just 10 years later, okay? Okay, so it's an imperfect metaphor because obviously Van Gogh never lived to see his success as an artist, etc., etc., but I stand by it. When it comes to art, we shouldn't be trying to recreate that great thing. We should be focused on making that new great thing, which brings us back to what started this all, that 24 hours of despair in which we never thought we'd see a sixth season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is one of the most diverse shows on television, while also constantly being funny and thought-provoking. They have taken on racial profiling and active shooters and traumas of many kinds. It represents what New York actually looks like, not this central perk bullshit. It's a fresh show that is still consistently funny and consistently coming up with new ideas. It's elevating lesser heard voices without falling back on stereotypes. They are constantly creating. So why did we have to go digging back in the glory days to find shows to replace them? Brooklyn Nine-Nine's cancellation is a microcosm of a bigger problem. 
Obviously, I was upset about never hearing Gina Linetti's voice ever again, but I was more upset about this reactionary television where the diversity that we were just starting to achieve was being replaced with Trumpism on the grounds that it was for the representation of the white working class and the conservative voice. Because in elevating this voice, especially with Roseanne and Last Man Standing as their vehicles, they are validating the hateful rhetoric that represents the very worst of America, the basest prejudices we hold, and silencing the diversity that makes America, well, I'm not going to say great because, you know, but it makes America awesome. The stories we tell matter, and the people we give storytelling platforms to matter as well. Instead of handing the microphone to the same old, same old voices, let's hand them to new voices who have something new to bring to television or theater or film or music or the list goes on and on. So stop reviving and start creating. Garbage, garbage, oh, we got garbage up in here. And now for our weekly segment, Sifting Through the Trash, in which I find something in my trash can more qualified to be president than Donald J. Trump. There's not a whole lot in here, um, but there is a pad wrapper, so... That's where I'm at, again. This pad rapper is more qualified to be president than Donald J. Trump. Thank you for listening. Um, the Garbage Hours music was written by Sean McGuire and Heather Grimm. The Garbage Hours purpose was written by Facebook's newly updated community standards. Um, the appealing process is not transparent and didn't work. Um, follow me on social media at Miargan, on Twitter at Maggie McGee, on Instagram, and, um, yeah, this may not have been an hour, but it was garbage. Listen to women, believe women, trust women, trust diversity, and trust new and interesting stories. Bye. Into the garbage, fly boy!